For those of you who, whom I've not met, my name is Gina Sharp, and this is uh, Sister Panawati. You may not have known who was the nun and who was the layperson, but now you know. There's <laughs> uh, a big hint, but... We'll... So what we'll do is we'll sit, and then we'll do a little bit of movement, and um, then we'll talk, we'll explore Dharma together. So I'll do some light um, uh, guidance. And I was just telling Sister about a, uh, a an instruction that I <clears throat> read from Trungpa Rinpoche that I've I found quite useful. And and actually, you're getting me at a really great time because it's it's only been a week since our month long. My husband and I went to a month long silent retreat at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Um, in March, and so it's just been a week since we're out, so I'm feeling very refreshed and wonderful and enthusiastic and back in the saddle. <clears throat> and uh, I, I, I read a, an instruction from Trungpa Rinpoche that um, I found quite interesting, and I just told Sister about it, and she found it interesting too, where he talks about... Um, Instead of following the breath, both inter, uh, the in-breath and the out-breath, from the beginning of the in-breath to the end, and then the pause, and then the um, beginning of the out-breath and the pause, he instructs instead that you pay attention to the beginning of the out-breath and be observing and, and knowing the dissolution of the outbreath, and then allowing the in-breath to be a gap, which I found at first I thought really strange. And then I started practicing it, and I really appreciated it. Because what I found, and maybe we can investigate if some of you do it in this sitting, um, I'd love to hear from you as to whether or not you find it as relaxing as I found it, that somehow the mind is not quite, is not um, so, uh, what's the word? It's, it's, it's not so bearing down on the breath, but it, we're giving the mind and, and, the, and the body a kind of um, moment to relax in the practice, that it, it feels quite beautiful and quite uh, relaxing and open and different. So you may want to try it if, if you think that that's something that might interest you, if, if, if you think that that might enhance your practice. Or please, um, of course, you can continue to do the, the full in-breath and out-breath too. The other thing that I discovered on this retreat um, that I sat is that um, the breath became ballast rather than an anchor. And what I found beautiful about that is that instead of the mind trying to uh, grasp the breath or be so um, uh, I don't even know the word, but just so pasted to the breath in, in a kind of uh, tight way that when I re- when the when the attention returns to the breath it feels as if what it's doing is balancing. Um, so even if the boat is on rough waters, 
there's a way in which there's a confidence that it won't sink or that it won't capsize, but that it will be able to navigate through any kind of waters. So I offer that to you also as, a, as an image of the breath being your friend and, and holding, holding the attention rather than having to force the attention back onto the breath. Okay? So I offer you those two images just to see if that may help. But I'll give the, um, the traditional instructions anyway. So please allow your full attention to come to this moment. Letting go of past concerns, memories, letting go of hopes and fears for the future, and see if the mind, body, and heart can arrive here, molecule by molecule. paying attention to the posture of the body bringing it to a dignified noble easy at ease, relaxed um, erect posture so that the spine is erect and yet there is an ease so the shoulders are pulled down by the angel wings the muscles of the face are relaxed. And what I find helpful is to really consciously relax the tongue. It appears to me to relax the body. Allowing a slight bend of the chin towards the chest, just slight, so that the back of the neck is released. Relaxing the brow, the eyes, the jaw, the cheeks, the teeth, and the tongue. Letting go of any holding in the belly. Noticing any place in the body that's tight or tense or holding and seeing if you can just easily let go, even if just a little bit. Allow the hands to be either down on the thighs or the knees easily or upturned on the lap, one on top of the other, thumbs touching each other, some place that feels really comfortable for the hands so that they 
don't have to shift during the period. Feeling the buttocks contact the seat. Perhaps what happens in that contact, the pressure, the solidity, the hardness, or the softness of the seat. And even though the spine is called to be erect, allowing it to be relaxed so that there's a, um, a balancing of alertness and relaxation. <coughs> Neither tipping to one side nor the other, allowing the energy to be balanced. And then noticing that the body is breathing. Nothing you have to do to manipulate the breath. Just being (coughs) present and here for each breath as it appears and disappears. And this appearance and disappearance happens both on the in-breath and on the out-breath. It can be deep or shallow, long or short, rough or smooth. However it is, it's met with acceptance, open awareness, an open heart, some curiosity. It could be full body breathing, or breath at the nostrils, or at the belly. Allow the attention to rest in either of, in any of those three places, the full body, the nostrils, or the belly. and bringing an open heart and an open mind to how things are, allowing what arrives to come and go without feeling the need to manipulate or control or make any particular thing happen. So sounds may arise, thoughts, emotions, sensations in the body. We allow them to come and go but we may get caught. And as soon as we notice that we have, that some thought has captured our attention or an emotion or the sound or the sensation, notice that. And then allow the attention to come back to the breath. No recriminations, no analysis, no judgment just an open-hearted presence, a way of being here. And returning to the breath over and over and over again is the essence of meditation, this beginning again, this knowing how to begin again 
without commentary. And if any of those arisings appear of sensations, thoughts, emotions, if they become predominant in the attention, so that they are so compelling that they do pull the attention, just notice what it is and make a very silent note in the mind thinking, hearing, sad, happy, anxious, appreciative, remembering, fantasizing, or sensation in the body, pulling, stabbing, whatever it is, we can know what the attention, how the attention has been captured. And allow that event to naturally uh, pass away as it very, very naturally will. And when nothing in particular is pulling the attention anymore, returning to the breath. In this last few minutes of the meditation, check to see if the body has tightened at all. And if you can allow it to release that tightness. And notice whether the mind has wandered far away into the past or the future. And allow it to come back here now to this present out-breath or in-breath. And if you wish to close with a metta meditation, you can begin by addressing some wishes of goodwill and caring to yourself. May I be safe from harm, happy and peaceful, healthy and strong, 
and live with ease. Safe, happy, healthy, at ease. Or you can just continue to do, do the breath meditation. Mm. Sending those wishes continuously. Addressing them to yourself. And extending that heart of goodwill and kindness to everyone in the room and including yourself again. May each and every one of you be safe from harm, happy and peaceful, healthy and strong, and live with ease. And then allowing those wishes to expand and extend and radiate out from this room into this building, out into this city, this state, this country, this continent, this planet, this galaxy, out towards all of the other galaxies including every single being, human, in the air, in the, on the, in the sea, crawling on the land, two-legged, four-legged, multi-legged, all beings everywhere, without exception, wishing for the safety, the peace and happiness, the health, and the ease of all beings everywhere to be free from suffering and free. Free from hunger and danger. And be fully and completely at ease. 
So are there any questions about the practice itself? Or any comments from people who may have tried a new way of practicing? Yes, please. And could you say your name? Joyce. Joyce, hi. Uh, yeah, I do. I've tried it. I'd like you to repeat the instruction again. Just Which one? The one about uh, focusing more on the out-breath. And it felt much more relaxing to me. I could see the in-breath as a kind of, oh, sorry, as a kind of shadow, sort of. The, I didn't feel like I was... You need to put it like an oh, ice cream. I didn't yeah. feel like I was running to catch up with the breath, which I often sort of feel. You, you didn't feel as if you were running to catch up with the breath. Yeah, with both the in-breath and the out-breath. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, felt, it just felt very pleasant. But I was thinking a lot about reporting. Yeah. It was coming to my head a lot. Right, 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 yeah. No, I really wanted to try that, but I didn't want to hear the instruction again. Just make sure I yeah, so it's really quite simple. It's just, it's it's okay, keep it for a minute. It, um, it's just allowing the attention to take in the out-breath. So the awareness is there anyway, right? And you're breathing anyway. And so we're just allowing the awareness to meet the out-breath fully. And, so, and his instruction is that you really notice the dissolving or the, dissolute, the nature of the dis- dissolving or dissolution nature of the out-breath how it's dissolving as it, as it ends. And then allowing the in-breath to be like just a gap. So that you're not, as you said, beautifully running to catch up with the in-breath as soon as the out-breath is gone. But, you know, so, you make, so the awareness may catch a piece of the in-breath, I notice. But yet the main, um, the main practice is allowing the out-breath to be fully... Um, taken in by the awareness. Yeah, it's really quite a simple instruction. Yeah, and very nice. And interesting. I see it visually as one was like a shadow and one was more blind. Yeah, <laughs> so. beautiful. Well, however you need to, right. to see it so that it works for you is great. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, I'm Becky. Hi, Becky. Um, I also like working with the instruction very much. Mm-hmm. When I first tried it, I thought that I couldn't do it. It mm-hmm. was like trying not to think about something. Uh-huh. And then I let that go, and after some time, I felt like um, it was just allowing the out-breath to release, like being aware of it releasing. Mm-hmm. And um, I lost that element of controlling the in-breath, mm. which I sometimes do. Mm, beautiful. So the in-breath... Like, there was even one point where, theoretically, I could have said I wasn't breathing in, except I must have been, because I was breathing out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It was, it was very relaxing. Thanks. Yeah, great. Well, I'm glad it was, uh, I'm glad it was helpful. Okay, well, we're, um, we're pretty uh, full today, so I think we'll just do a little bit of movement, and um, then we'll... Uh, do a couple of announcements and then, you know, we'll feature sister. We'll put sister to work here. Okay. Um, okay. So if you would, um, so I, I like to give the instruction when we arise that we, we work with continuity of awareness. 
so that when you arise, just notice how as soon as I ask you to arise, how everybody wants to get up, right? And notice how you're thinking about the body standing already, right? That you've already arrived at standing even though the body is still sitting, right? Did anybody experience that? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And if, and if you can really allow the attention to just really stay here so the body is seated and, and just notice, just, and this is a little subtle, but notice the intention to arise and how that's going to allow the body, how the body will just follow that mental intention. It's, a, it's an amazing, miraculous thing that we take so for granted. And some of us don't have that ability, Right? And yet, when we're fully able, we just take it totally for granted. Because some of us may have an intention to arise and the body can't. So, notice that. Keep on that journey of the arising of the body. And really appreciate it as, as you do so. Just notice all of the little details of the body unfolding and you know, the the relief in certain parts of the body that now you're standing rather than sitting and whatever else is going on, to really notice that so that your journey from from seated to standing is one that's full of presence. Okay. Please. So, uh, since Sister and I are, uh, she's from North Carolina, well, living in North Carolina, you're not from North Carolina. Um, we're going to be together. We, what we agreed, what we thought would be really alive for you, would be to ask you what you would like us to talk about. And since I've been yap, 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 yapping all morning, I'm going to let Sister really be featured this that morning. That wasn't our agreement. <laughs> that wasn't our agreement. She said, well, you know. Um, but I, well, I'll jump in if I have something I think to say. I'm just go. Cool. <laughs> uh, but sister how many of you have sat with her before oh good so quite a few of you she's an amazing person um, I, I don't think I can say enough to really capture the essence of her but I think you will you will get an idea once we once we get started so what we'd like to do is to just invite you to tell us what you would like us to talk about or ask questions and and we'll go from there please So could you tell us why you're asking that question? What brings you to ask it? I'm compassion fatigued. You're compassion. Are you a caregiver? Yes, I'm a social worker. You're a social worker. Okay. Sister. So the question, the question always becomes who is uh, fatigued? Uh, and the answer lies in the answer to that question. Um, there's only one way that we can avoid fatigue, and that is to be uh, absent in the sense of there not being any self, there being no self. Uh, so many times, you know, I work with so many different uh, programs and um, the uh, homeless kids in North Carolina, and it's not even the homeless kids that's such, uh, that's, uh, that uh, could be such a, a wearing on me, but it's the community who does not support them. And so uh, 
uh, dealing with that kind of a mindset uh, can tend to break you down if you are if you are home. And so when we're working, we have to have this notion of there is no one doing, there is just the doing of something. And that brings a relief and a release to our mind and to our heart. You know, the Buddha talked about four uh, kind, or three kinds of karma, black karma, white karma, and neither uh, black nor white. And the uh, black karma is the, uh, the fruit of unwholesome deeds that we do. Uh, and that knowing that when we commit them, there is a planting of something, even though it's unfruitful, and there will come a harvest, and there will be a, a being that reaps that harvest. Uh, the white karma is wholesome, the wholesome deeds that we do, the wholesome thoughts, the wholesome actions, the wholesome words. But knowing that there is uh, a... Uh, fruit being that will come forward from that doing good that someone must inherit. But neither black nor white means that there is no thought of anyone doing. There is just the doing. And so there is the finishing, the ending of karma. And along with that, the freeing of the heart and the mind. And if we start thinking in those terms, those of us who are caregivers, those of us who are uh, uh, really uh, bear the uh, emotional burden. If there was no one present, there would be no burden to bear. Mm -hmm. uh, the same way that Gina was talking about the the uh, uh, new uh, way of, of meditating this morning and forgetting about the inhalation. It is a naturally uh, occurring phenomena. The compassion arising that motivates us to move forward and do is a naturally arising phenomena in the bodhisattva heart. You know, but in the exhalation, there is the dissolving of everything. Mm -hmm. So if you can get that, uh, that picture in your head, it will begin to release you. It will begin to uh, set you free on that exhalation. What is your name? Sadia. Shadia. In that exhalation, there's a shadia dissolving. Uh, the one time uh, the Buddha said, when a match is blown out, where did the fire go? It just went out. You know, so if you think in those terms, you'll find that you'll be able to sustain, you'll be able to do more, you'll be able to tolerate more, and it won't feel like so much more because there is no doer, there's just the doing. Can, can we see you? Um, hi. Could you give us your name, too? Do you mind standing up so sister can see My you? So niece, I, can... I would love to stand up, but me say no. Oh, okay. See what I, see what I was saying before? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I wanted to ask a question about compassion. Just about every week, I hear people making anti-Semitic and racist remarks. And it's easy to feel compassion toward people you like, but how do you... How do you cultivate compassion to the people who are engaging in hate? This one yours, this is mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I guess we could both say something. Um, so, you know, compassion, so much of the time when we do our practices, especially practices of compassion or kindness or joy or um, not so much equanimity, but, but those three practices, 
we we begin to think that uh, those practices are really directed outward. And yet the practices of the Brahma Viharas, which, of which compassion is one, are really internal practices. Now that sounds a little bit oxymoronic because usually we take um, what we call an object, but we don't really mean to objectify people, but we take a person and we address our, we, we cultivate our practice of, we cultivate our heart of uh, kindness or compassion through addressing a being who we bring into our heart. And it's like so many other uh, learnings in the Dharma where we, we get caught in the object. We get caught in the idea of uh, the person that we're forgiving or the person that we're cultivating compassion towards. And we forget that the cultivation is actually in our hearts. Right? So it's, it's not about the person out there and whether we're condoning their actions because clearly we're not condoning uh, racist or anti-Semitic um, uh, comments or actions, but actually we're paying attention to this heart. And because when this heart closes to one person, it's closed. It's not as if we can close the heart to one person and think, oh, well, my heart is really open to everybody else. Because the, the feeling of closing the heart down is the heart being closed. So I'm not advocating that we not take action that we think is appropriate in the world. Of course we have to do that. And yet it all starts with the motivation and the intention that we have here. So when we cultivate kindness and we cultivate compassion, we're cultivating an intention. That's where it starts. It starts with the intention to be compassionate, the intention to be kind. And as Sister said, of course, nobody is home cultivating it, and yet you know, we're, we're, we're working with both the, that truth, the absolute truth, and the relative truth that there is one here who is, is, is doing it. But so we're not condoning, we're not necessarily being passive if we think that action is required, but at the same time we're always feeling our own hearts and seeing whether or not it's possible to open to even this, even this. I, because people who are carrying out unjust acts or acts of racism or, or anti Semitic or, or any other kind of separative act have their own suffering. So can we connect with that? Because we are, we are, as human beings, we all understand suffering. There is not one of us who can say, no, I've never suffered. So we can, we can connect with that, and that's where the compassion lies, with the, with the, with the, the, the wish that the suffering of all beings end starting with this one and every one that comes before us. And we can do that without condoning um, the act. You know, that is key, seeing others as oneself. I know for myself, I think unwholesome uh, thoughts sometimes. I know for myself, I say unwholesome words sometimes. And I know for myself, I do unwholesome actions sometimes. And so whenever I see someone acting out in a certain way, I first try to consider them as, as oneself. Uh, 
in considering, I know through this practice that it's because of, of greed, hatred, and delusion or ignorance that I do these things. So then I understand that when they do that, it's because of greed, hatred, and, and delusion. And if I respond in like manner with greed, hatred, or delusion, how am I any different than, than they are? And so the first part is, a, is a, a willingness to consider others as oneself, that, that uh, they act in ways that are not wholesome. And then is to have the willfulness the willfulness to um, uh, uh, not not just tolerate, but to accept that because of their bondage to the greed, hatred, and delusion, they are acting in this way. You know how you regret when you do something? Or sometimes you even regret the way you are, but you just say, that's just the way I am. I don't have um, the skillfulness to change it. Uh, or sometimes you don't even recognize that that's the way you are. You know, uh, And when it, it does finally come to your recognition, uh, how sorrowful you feel, yet you shrudge it off and you just go on in your way. And so others are like that, particularly if they don't have this wonderful Dharma or, a, or a, a similar teaching to help them to come in, into the fullness of their uh, uh, inherent brightness. And so, so that means that that allows a naturally arising compassion for people like this. Uh, so you, uh, you have compassion for the victim, and you also have pa- uh, compassion for the perpetrator, knowing that the perpetrator is also, uh, is also a victim. And if we have this mind, then we can apply a salve, or we can take an action that's the opposite of what is coming forward. And in that way, we uh, put an ingredient into the mix that can, that can leaven the lump, that can change something. We don't come with the same thing uh, just from another side, but we come with something different. So where there's fire, we bring the water. Where there's heat, we bring the coolness. Uh, that is the power that's in, inherent in the carrier of the Dharma, and we are the carriers of the Dharma. If you thought of yourself as nothing more but the carrier of the Dharma, then when you are accosted in this way, you're not offended. You're not offended by it. But you can rise at that particular moment and you can uh, drop a kernel uh, of of opposition, but in a very, very cool way. And when you do this, you'll, you'll begin to see how people change and transform. It takes a lot of patience. I mean, you have to really be patient. But, the, you know, uh, you know I, I never wanted to learn patience. I, 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 I went for every parameter, but that's okay about patience because I know that patience comes uh, with suffering, you know, with trial. It takes a lot uh, to develop patience. But, you know, it's a necessary journey that that uh, that we have to take uh, to come into the fullness of the measure of the stature, you know, of these uh, great teachers whose words we imbibe and and try to walk out in our own life. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. I want to. I have a question about intention and how to strengthen, how to fortify, how to not be regretful when you when I have an intention and then I lose it or I uh, I, I, I may begin a 
attention. And it evaporates at some point in time. And it's difficult to get it back because I'm suffering the loss of it. And the question is? How do I strengthen my attention? Hold on, but not hold on, right? Because <laughs> if I hold on, it goes back. Mm. Sister, do you want to start? <laughs> uh, you know, first I'd like to say that uh, we we should be gentle with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we all know ourselves, you know, we know when we've been sleeping and when we've been awake, we know when we've been good and when we've been bad. Uh, and, and part of this practice is, is just really looking at that without any uh, particular feeling about it, just, just, uh, as I said, just noting, you know. Uh, and, and if we are, are, are quick to, to note without judgment, it will uh, help facilitate more resolve in carrying out our intentions. Part of, of the difficulty we have in uh, changing habitual tendencies is we either don't want to see it or when we look at it, it's, it's hard for us to bear, you know, but it has to be neither one of these things. We need to be quick to look at it and, and not take it personally. And if we start doing it that way, we will uh, watch ourselves more and we'll say, you know, you have to work on that Paniwadi. And, and every time it comes up, I will, I will see that there you go again. You know, and, and that will help me to uh, confront it. It'll help me to face it, you know, but not in an, an, uh, with aversion, but actually uh, eager to look to see if I'm keeping you know, keeping my vow. When you make a vow, you make a vow to yourself. You know, you know, it might benefit others if you if you keep it. But when you make it, you make it to yourself. So when you don't keep it, you just don't keep it to your, to yourself. And so there has to be some sense of of faith in here, faith in the teachings, faith in the ability to um, to uh, uh, enter in to what the uh, teachings promise if we're diligent about it and then the willpower to carry it out. And that takes energy. Uh, energy can't be wishy-washy. Energy has to be firm and, and resolve. And energy has to be able to look and to confront something. And so if we start applying that, that, that energy, uh, energetically moving towards um, our goal, inner, uh, having an energetic um, uh, movement towards uh, living out, walking out our vow. You know, a relationship develops around that energy, and we have more strength, we have more more resolve, and we have more clarity. After a while, you know, when you're moving towards breaking it, you're moving towards not keeping it, you become um, aware of what you're doing moment by moment. Is this moving towards that or is it moving away from it? And, and in this way, you start to develop a new habitual tendency of watching, of watching what I'm doing, of, of, of asking are my words and my actions uh, and my thoughts, are they lining up? 
you know, and when and you'll know in a minute when it's not lining up before it's so far that it's out the gate and you can't find it, you know. And so this is this is how we have to deal with ourselves, you know. It's not just taking some words or making some affirmations or just you know, uh, it, it it you know you have to really arouse some energy and effort towards this because habitual tendencies are very difficult to break, but they are they are breakable if we're vigilant and we're looking every every moment. So constantly looking, constantly looking. And and I think you know you can have some confidence in in how you're building that muscle that sister is talking about. Because as you practice, the, the mind is really being trained to, um, to see exactly what's happening, to know exactly what's happening, and to, to return every time it strays. So that muscle is being, if you practice really diligently, you know, as much as you can every single day, the brain and the and the mind are really doing the what they do very naturally, which is build new new neural pathways. The, you know, to put it in the scientific terms that the scientists are now talking about. So you're learning exactly how to do what Sister is is, is saying, which is to come back to your original intention, to come back to your original vow, to really. Um, Train, you're training the mind to know what's happening, and to cor- to make corrections. So it's like you're on a you're on a boat, and you you know you want to go towards Africa, but it's it's kind of veering towards Europe. And so what you what what do you do? You don't like beat up on the boat or you know say the navigator is terrible. You correct your you correct the you know where the navigate where the navigation is is sending you. And that's what you're doing every time you return to the breath or you, you, you return to what's happening presently and you're not off in the past and the future. You're training yourself to do exactly that. So to, to really develop some confidence to know, oh, I'm a practitioner. I'm a practitioner. So I know how to, I know how to come back to that intention. I know how to come back to that place that I was at when I made that vow or I made that intention. And, and just as in the practice, we're not beating up on ourselves every time the mind strays. You know, that's part of the, that's, that's a really key part of the practice is that place of kindness where when the mind strays, instead of saying, thinking, thinking again, what's wrong with you? You're thinking again, you shouldn't be thinking. You say, no, thinking. And you come back. Mm-hmm. Right? And again, you're training the mind and body to accept what's happening in that way. So that you don't have to say, oh, you know, it's terrible. I don't know what's wrong with me. My practice is really falling apart. And I don't know. I made these intentions and now I'm not. T-. It's, oh, I can come back to, oh, that was the original intention. This is how, as Sister said, my my actions are going to align with my deepest values. You know, that was a really good question because, you know, uh, I don't think we use reflection as much as we should mm-hmm. as part of our, our practice. You know, and the Buddha said, you know, before you do a thing, you know, 
uh, think on it, reflect on on whether it should be done. You know, maybe it should be done, but should it be done uh, by me? And maybe it should be done and done by me, but it should be done right now. And maybe it should be done right now, you know, by me. But, uh, you, know, you know, so we have to, like, do this kind of reflection. This is how we train the mind. He says, and then while you're doing it, you should ask that, you should reflect again, you know. And then after you've done it, you should reflect again. And if we start doing that before we uh, do something, while we're doing it, uh, sometimes when we're in the middle of doing it, we, we realize that, that the purpose that we uh, set upon to do it has shifted mm-hmm. in the doing. And so we have to correct our course, you know. If I want to head it's just over there uh, to that distant shore and I start vectoring off, I can't wait till I get to the destination to <laughs> see where I am. I have to keep checking the chart, right. keep checking the chart. And, and keep, you know, uh, adjusting. And so he says, you know, before you say a thing, before you do a thing. And then he even went on to say, before you think a thing. Now, how in the world do we think before we think a thing? <laughs> you know? Uh, but that lets you know that your thoughts must not be ours. You know, they come. So if you get, uh, uh, if you really start to deepen in this practice, you can see a thought coming uh, uh, far off you know I mean you know how they you know how they feel you you know their smell you know uh, and before it, the thought even hits you you know you and and that's how you learn to deflect you know you can smell a PU coming and you can go in another direction you know just switch the mind in another direction this is the power of this practice you know, and what yeah. I love about that particular um, discourse that that sister is talking not the PU discourse but the the discourse about uh, reflecting before during and after you think speak or act is that this was advice to his seven year old son right so if a seven year old can can be advised that way we can certainly pick it up right so that's that's the part of that discourse that I just love that it was to his seven year old son Rahula and he gave him that teaching at that age. So, it's it's inspiring for us. So, uh, I have a question. Uh, my question has to do with uh, worry and the idea of the future coming. So, I don't know how to achieve staying in the present when I think I need to tell you what I'm talking about. <laughs> That'd be, that would help. Yeah. Um, I've been laid off work. I was teaching for 25 years and I've been laid off. And the idea of the future coming and what it holds, uh, I don't know how not to worry about that and stay in, in a present that is like sand under my feet. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So you've been laid off. Uh, you you are on unemployment, or you got, oh, great. Well, well, you get paid while you can fig while you figure it out. And so, so this is how we have to look. You know, everything is uncertain, uh, and when we start to recognize that life is this way, we don't expect anything. When something comes, then it's a boon. And when something uh, that is uh, what could be seen as unfortunate comes, it's just it's just samsara, and we and we learn how 
how to how to handle that. So during this time, just giving some specific in, encouragement at this moment. During this time, it's a time that you can reinvent your your yourself. I mean, you weren't born as as a teacher. You know, you're not joined to the hip with teaching. This is a time for you to see. Well, what now? What opens up for me now? What would I really like to do? What can I do? What are the the qualities and the skills that I possess? How can I translate this into some other type of work? You know, even being willing uh, to do any kind of work that I can do, that's, that's okay with me. It doesn't have to be teacher because I have no label of who and what I am. What could really give me some fulfillment right now, you know, uh, in terms of service to others? You know, so we start thinking, really critically thinking about reinventing when the time for reinvention occurs and we'll find that we have a great capacity uh to do that some of the some of the uh the best times that we've moved in our life into the uh, just the absolute best thing for us at that moment was through adversity when something else was cut off and we thought that that was uh, so terrible that was uh, just the end and how I'm going to make it and how I'm going to pay my bills and then this 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 just I call it like divine this idea comes up because there is the space for it. There's the freedom for it. The only thing that keeps us is the gripping of the fear of the future pacing. But the future's not here. It's the now. What right now? Uh, you have an enormous capacity and power to create, you know, with your head. But if you use up that energy in and in, in future pacing and worrying about the future, uh, you can't access it, you know. And so, it's, yes. It's not what they think, it's what you think. Well, you know, you see, you know, yeah, yeah. You, I'm saying don't, don't make a, a case for limitations. Uh, that's not the time for this. This is a time to look at unlimited possibilities. And our self-speak is very, very important. You know, it's like if you think you can, you can't. And not let your fear speak for you, but you speak to your fear. It takes a, a certain amount of courage to do that. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm 63. I don't have a job. I don't get paid. I don't do anything, you know, but I don't live in any fear of how I'll eat tomorrow. And it's certainly not because the sangha takes care of me. I can tell you that. <laughs> I can I can tell you that, you know. But but what I know, but what I know is go that on, sister. I am, endowed, I am endowed, you know, with an unlimited possibility to create in the present moment. And the only thing that keeps me from being able to do that is my fear about the future. So so that's where you have to start. You have to start with uh, being willing to release uh, your fear about about the future and start really thinking about uh, how you're going to reinvent and create something 
uh, for your for yourself. And I don't need anybody to give me anything. I can create for my own self, you know. And and that's what you have to know that you have that ability uh, to do that. So you need to be thinking about what that might look like, what that could be, and then uh, set out upon that. When I was working with the homeless kids, and nobody helped me feed them. I had to come up with a way to feed them. I just decided to start a business with them. So you got homeless kids and a 63-year-old with no money, you know, and um, and and yet we were able to uh, to bring something into being, and everybody's shocked about it. But why should we be? Everything that's out here came out of somebody's mind. So what's in your mind? You know, uh, this is the way you have to strengthen yourself. And if you do, you'll be surprised what pops up about what I always wanted to do. Uh, there, yes, there are many other 63-year-olds, but you can't do anything about them. You can do something about you, but it takes putting your mind in a certain place first. And this is not just talk. I'm, I'm really talking about uh, strengthening ourselves in, in our own uh, ab ability to uh, create uh, a space for ourselves. You know, anybody can do it. I look at, you know, even if you have to, uh, for now, uh, just uh, this is about feeding and strengthening your mind so that uh, fear doesn't fill up the space. You see what I'm saying? Uh, but out of that comes a new idea, comes a fresh idea, comes an awakening. You know, this is a, an, an awakening path, um, and it helps us to use our mind or use the mind in a very powerful in a very powerful way, not for just sitting and being calm and meditating, but for creating it and unpacks, unlocks the dunamis in the mind. Uh, and so everything that you see came out of somebody's mind. So you have to ask what's in mind and how do I pull it up right at this time and know that it's there to be uh, pulled up. So read stories about other, other women who reinvented themselves at 65 years old. Madam Walker with a dead husband and a whole bunch of children black in the uh, early whatever it was 40s or 50s and or 30s I don't know and and you know no way to do anything she came up with hair grease you know I mean so I mean we can think of something you know if we're not uh, if our mind uh, if the mind is not locked down and gripped and gripped by fear I mean I think you can can feel the energy that comes up, this is what's in you, this is what you have to unpack. But if you do it, you'll never be dependent on what other people do or what other, what titles they give you or what, what paycheck they give you again. Why do you ask? Why? Mm -hmm. uh, my mom recently died. Your mom recently died. So how are you doing? A lot of
Well, I can... Um, I don't know if you've read some of the Theravadan, uh, the Pali Canon uh, suttas on, on experiences of death with, uh, with the Buddha. There's one that comes to mind of a, a woman whose child, or whose only son, died. And uh, she goes through the whole village, <clears throat> essentially with the body of her son, wanting the son to be revived, to come back to life. And uh, she goes around saying, you know, help me, help me get my son back. And finally, somebody sends her to the Buddha and says, uh, you know, he'll help you. And she goes to the Buddha and she says, my only son has died and I can't bear it. Um, please bring him back. And the Buddha says, okay, but in order to do that, I'll need a mustard seed from a home that, uh, where somebody hasn't died. So she goes around the village and she, goes, she knocks on the doors and she asks you know, everyone who answers, has, is, is your home a home where nobody has died? And of course in those days people died at home, right? And so she can't find a home where uh, nobody has died. And by the time that she, she returns to the Buddha, to tell him that she can't find that mustard seed. She gets it. Right? She gets that this is, uh, this is, you know, those who are born will die. That there's, there's none of us that's not going to have an experience of the loss of a loved one. And there's another, um, there's another uh, discourse in which the Buddha's two most beloved disciples die within two months of each other. And someone goes to the Buddha and says, you know, he kind of wants to trap him and says, aha, now, you know, how do you feel? You know, what's, what's happening with you? You know, he wants to see if the Buddha is in this terrible grief. And the Buddha answers something very beautiful. He says, um, it's as if the light from the sun and the, and the moon have fallen from the sky. Which is such a, for me, when I read that, it, it was like a, a release, it was like an outbreath. It was the understanding of loss and the sadness of loss, but also uh, combined or on the ground of equanimity of knowing that those who are born must die. That there is, there is no escape from that. There is no escape from death. And so the sadness, of course, is very appropriate. And yet it can be based on a ground of understanding and clarity and wisdom. And having a tremendous amount of compassion for yourself and understanding what it feels like to have this kind of loss. It's a unique opportunity to really understand the suffering of loss and to, to take care of yourself and yet to know, oh, this is, a, this is a universal experience, this experience of losing our parents, you know, 
Um, most of us are fortunate enough that our that our parents died before us, which is kind of the, what we think of as the natural course. Many parents lose children, which feels a lot more unnatural. And yet, how long is a life? Is it two minutes? Or is it a hundred years? We don't know. None of us knows. So can you be gentle and tender with yourself and still be held by the understanding that this is how it is? This is how it is. We lose those who are dear to us. We do. We do. A lot of our pain is in the uh, non-acceptance. It's in the av- aversion. But he said, I am of the nature to grow. And I am of the nature to be sick. And all that are dear to me and everything that I hold dear I will be separated from. There's no way to avoid it. He said, therefore, my actions are my only true home. And so if that goes for me, that goes for uh, everyone else. I remember when my mom uh, was dying, and it was very difficult, and that scripture helped me a lot. Our actions are our only true home. And so I spent my time, rather than uh, uh, concerning myself, with uh, her death and where she would go, I spent my time looking at her actions to know her true home, you know. Uh, so, so when we look at this uh, um, heap of things that we call a self, you know, uh, the, the smallest portion of it, the 20% is form, you know, but then there's, there's these other four parts that are... Um, uh, uh, they're non non physical, if you will. You know, so you have feeling and perception and consciousness, and you have mind objects. And the Buddha teaches about this consciousness, and out of this consciousness, there is a, a um, uh, there is a, a rebirth link, linkage uh, to this consciousness. And so our actions are locked together with that consciousness so that the good works that we do, there is a, a fruit that flowers at some point. Uh, if it's in our current life, uh, if the um, conditions are right, like that, that uh, the seed of the fruit of that action, if the right amount of rain, the right amount of sunshine, the right amount of shade comes, it bears fruit uh, in the here and now. He said, but if the conditions are not right or it takes longer for that to germinate and bear fruit, it bears fruit in the future. And that's where rebirth linkage uh, comes in. So it means that that if uh, mom has put forth actions, which she has, which we all have, you know, then if we don't uh, inherit the fruit of that, then there is a, a, a new being that comes into manifestation. It's not mom, it's not not mom, you know, but uh, it's like a, an oak uh, tree that drops uh, a kernel to the ground, you know, and when the conditions are right, another uh, tree sprouts up. So there is something that comes forward uh, from the preciousness of your mother's life. Uh, her actions produce that. And so if we see this, we see the wonderful, uh, uh, the wonderful flow uh, 
of life, even from just this physical life, to uh, the the forward moving of, of of phenomena, and we see the great part that our loved ones uh, play in that. So I ponder the good works uh, because that is the true home, our our true home. And in pondering that, the good works of my mother, there is ease that she is abiding, that there is an abiding in a true home that is way beyond uh, our imagination and way beyond this uh, fixed notion of a, of a person, of a, of a human being. And so I can release her to the universe. And one of her good works is you. Yeah. So as long yeah. as you are here... Yeah. And she's in your heart and in your memory. Is she really gone? <laughs> oh, beautiful smile. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, um, Maria, is it a short question? Because we're about... It's an item question. I was just... Um, I just love what she said about her mother passing on. And just feeling that uh, when my dad just passed away like seven months ago, he was 97 years old. And of course, I felt that I needed to feel and grieve that. And yet, what gave me comfort was what he left behind. Mm, beautiful. And that spirit of love and uh, the things that he used to say. Because when I was growing up and started to get adolescent, there was a point there where I just kind of blamed him, named mm. it, cried mm. over it, and all this other stuff. So as I come to understand it, is what he left behind, what they both left behind. Mm, beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you. So let's just do a dedication. Sister, would you like to do a, um, a blessing to close a dedication of merit or some kind of blessing? The words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, let them be acceptable. Let them be true, true to our highest calling, true to our clarity, true to our teacher, true to our fellow man. Uh, we offer this for the, uh, to soothe the suffering of those who cannot do uh, merit-making for themselves. We offer it to the hungry ghosts. Uh, we offer this as nutriment, uh, as nourishment, as uh, a way of easing and calming their travail to make that full transition. Uh, we give all uh, honor and all glory to the uh, Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, uh, and we are so grateful for one another's fellowship and presence and being sadhu. 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 Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.